You know, a long, long time ago when uh, I was much younger than I am, just about a year after uh, Heather, my wife, and I were married, we, we backpacked around Europe for weeks. And it was an incredible trip. I've shared a little bit with you, but not for a long time of that trip. But we landed in Holland, and we went to Germany, and from Germany to Switzerland and Austria, and then down into Italy, and then to France, and, uh, and then home. And our pattern was to travel by, uh, on a given morning from one location to another. We'd get up in the morning, we'd get on the train, and we would travel to a new city, and we'd settle into the B&B or whatever we were living in. And then we would spend the rest of the day seeing the highlights of that city. We'd get up in the morning, we would do the city again. You know, we, we kind of hit the highlights of wherever we happened to be. Um, and then the next morning, we'd get up and we'd move along. That's just the pattern that we had. Um, kind of a three-day sequence. And um, we did that uh, in a pretty consistent way until about, um, oh, I'm guessing a week, maybe more before we, no, more, a week and a half before we were to head home, we found ourselves traveling from Italy to the French Riviera, the Riviera, the Côte d'Azur. And it was an absolutely beautiful place. And we loved the B&B. I can still remember the incredible breakfast that they had. And we just said, let's stay here for a while, because <laughs> we were tired. <laughs> you know, it was a fantastic trip, and we, but it was just go, 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 and travel, and, and, and so much walking every single day. I was never in better shape in my life, honestly, uh, than I was coming home from that trip. So we stayed there for about five days, and then we made our way up to Paris through France, and, and we flew home. And when we came home, I'm telling you this story, because when we arrived home, we went to our little basement apartment, where, and we looked for we, where we had hidden our key to get in, didn't want to take it with us, so we just hid it. Couldn't find it. And we were absolutely exhausted, not only from, you know, the time of travel, but, you know, jet lag and, 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 and traveling from one time zone to another and so on. And we just decided, let's, let's uh, go to Heather's parents' place. They lived in Toronto, and we slept in their basement on a pull-out couch. Uh, and it was a room with no windows, which is going to be significant for you in a minute. But um, in spite of it being a pull-out couch, I just slept you know, beautifully. I, I, I don't think I moved all night long. I was so tired. And I woke up uh, in the morning, and it was pitch black. I don't know what time of day it was. It could have been six. It could have been eight. I don't know. But it was pitch black, and I didn't know where I was. Like, literally. Because I had moved so many times, you know. Oh, I wake up, I'm in Vienna. Oh, I wake up, I'm in Rome. I wake up, I'm in, you know. And I literally didn't know where I was. And I would say for 20 to 30 seconds, it was like a really uncomfortable experience. It was a little panicky, you know, like, where am I? I don't know where I am. <laughs> and I said, just be calm. Think about it. You're going to figure this out. And I think it's just because I had such a deep sleep. It took that long for me just to remember, oh, you're in Heather's parents' basement. And then everything sort of started to, 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 to settle in. But it wasn't fun being in darkness and not knowing where I was. I thought, you know, if I had gotten up, I would have probably just stumbled around. I don't know what, I don't know what the benefit of, what it, of it would have been, but I would have stumbled around and I'd probably fallen flat in my face and I could have broken things, myself included. Um, but in time, as I say, things cleared and I moved along. And I'm telling you this story because um, we're looking at the seventh of the seven I am statements today. There's going to be another one Christmas Eve. But it's a statement when Jesus is essentially saying to us, you know what, without me you walk in darkness. You live in darkness. Um, not knowing what to do, too often falling flat in your face, probably falling down and breaking things sometimes yourselves. 
And the statement that Jesus brings to us, and it's, it's quite a dramatic one, it's, it's, it's simply this, that those, that I am the light of the world. And I'm wondering how this light gets turned on. Is that my job, Jason, or is that your job? Well, that's not very good. Just imagine, it's glowing. There we go, there we go. I am the light of the world. What does that mean to you? Does it mean anything to you? Does it include any kind of dramatic life transformation? I would say potentially, yes. See, what, what's going on in this, this context? And I'm going to read it to you from uh, John chapter 8. Well, let me read you the verse first of all, and I'll describe it to you. John chapter 8, um, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the question that's to be asked here, the question to process is, are we walking in darkness or are we walking in the light of life? Jesus came literally to shine a light into darkness, the darkness of our world, but also the darkness of our souls. The key to note here, uh, the key of note here is that this statement of Jesus is surrounded by darkness. And it's not, it's mostly spiritual darkness, but it's more than that. Just prior to this verse, literally, Jesus has um, uh, been confronted by the Pharisees and the darkness in their souls and their minds and their spiritual eyes as they brought up the woman caught in adultery. It was a humiliating thing that they did to her. It was a cruel thing that they did to her. And dramatically and remarkably, they believed this, that they were doing the will of God. This was a godly thing to do, to try to trip up Jesus. And of course, Jesus recognizes it and, and addresses that reality. Um, it, it was one of those instances where, you know, you can look at it and you go, oh my goodness, how could they have done that? My friends, they were walking in darkness. And they were tripping over their own feet. They couldn't see the things that Jesus saw. And hopefully we can see in hindsight. You know, the discussion then follows after this statement is all about who Jesus is. And of course, so much of this gospel of John is about Jesus' identity. These seven I am statements are about Jesus' identity. And they, he enters into this debate. The, the Pharisees say to him, you can't testify about yourself. Because in that day, Jewish people could not testify for themselves in a court of law. It was, just wasn't done. And Jesus comes along and his statement to him, to him in 23 is telling, but he, Jesus, continued, you are from below I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He's saying, again, I'm the eternal one. <laughs> I'm not like you. Indeed, I'm the son of God. And their response to this statement is very literally the question, who are you? Isn't that the question that we're posing, dealing with? You see, they were blind and they didn't know who Jesus was. They couldn't see and after this interaction, this argument, comes in chapter 9, the story of the man born blind. We looked at that this, earlier this year. But this man had been born blind, never seen a day in his life. And the disciples begin des describing their blindness by asking, who caused this man's blindness, his own sin or the sin of his parents? <laughs> and Jesus goes, no, no. He didn't put it this way, but you're spiritually blind. You're not seeing the truth. You're not seeing the reality. And Jesus, of course, said it's neither himself, his sin, or his parents' sin. Um, 
And then 9 verse 5, listen. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus keeps coming back to this. It's a self-identification. This is who I am, the light of the world. He, he came into this world so that people could see. And of course, he goes ahead. And what does he do for this man born blind? He performs this incredible miracle so the man can see physically. He can literally see. But also so he can see spiritually. There's something that happens within this man that has changed. Now, the story goes on and it talks about the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees who said, this man, Jesus, cannot be of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't see the very presence of God in their lives. Like, He's among them, but he can't, they, they're blind to their reality. Jesus later finds this man. And by the way, he is excommunicated. They throw him out. He won't be able to work, and his family won't associate with him anymore. Jesus finds the man. I want to read to you 35 to 38 of, of chapter 9. It says this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see, this man had come to sight physically, but he had come to sight spiritually. His eyes had been opened to see who Jesus was and the appropriate response of the man was to worship. Who gets worshipped? God gets worshipped. It's an incredible story in this sequence of stories that speaks profoundly. You see, there is movement in each from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from unbelief to belief. Giving reference again to the Old Testament, as I have throughout this series, is that there's a, a prophecy in the Old Testament that speaks of Jesus and in these words, I am the light of the world, Jesus is claiming that prophecy as himself. I want to read to you, what I, which I always do because I love, love, love this passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. Listen to this. The people walking in darkness. Who are the people walking in darkness? All of us without Christ. We can't see. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I am the light. Like, understand what Isaiah talked about. I'm it. On those land, li living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. What happens when people come to see Jesus? What happens when people encounter Jesus? What happens when Christ dwells within them? I'm telling you, it's joy. Think about that man whose eyes were opened, who saw who Jesus was and who worshipped him. Think about the life transformation that took place in that individual. Think about the joy that he would have known. Like, we probably can't imagine the joy he felt seeing for the first time his life having been revolutionized. Then verse 4, As in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Now, from a New Testament perspective, we're talking about being freed from the power of the enemy, the power of sin. People who live in the light of Christ, having seen Christ, having embraced him as Lord, having become those who worship him, that's, that's the life that can be lived, free from the power of sin. Verse 5, every warrior's uh, boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning 
would be fuel for the fire. No more violence. No more interpersonal violence. No more violence someday between nations. That's what Jesus brings. That's what the light brings. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be in his shoulders. He will rule. And he will be called, now listen to this, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He is, he is one who literally is with us to guide our lives and to counsel us, not just a counselor, but a wonderful counselor. He will be Mighty God, the one, remember Psalm 23, who would fight for us in the dark valleys. The everlasting Father, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. And the Prince of Peace, as we talked about last week, one who brings peace to our souls, peace in our relationships, peace in this world. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be uh, no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. Isn't that essentially the verse that the angel spoke into Mary's mind? It's basically the same, same wording. It says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The power of the sovereign God is behind what I'm describing to you. And that light is going to shine and the darkness of the world will begin to dissipate. And you will know these realities. You'll know them in your life. See, my friends, the reality is that we have this incredible reality, this, this seeing, this understanding, this knowing if indeed we are in Christ. Darkness starts to fade as we believe. And we are changed and the world is changed. No more stumbling in darkness. That's the intention. No more falling flat on our face. No more breakage of things and of people. <laughs> we walk into the light and that life is a, a, a life-transforming reality. Do you know it? That's the critical thing. In this entire book, it's about belief of John. Listen, it, it's about people who will either embrace Jesus by faith or not. Came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Constantly, there's this back and forth between receiving Jesus and not receiving. Believing in Jesus and not believing in Jesus. Seeing Jesus and not seeing Jesus. And the critical reality of every human life, the critical message of the Christmas story is, will you believe in this one who came? You see, the Christmas story is full of light. Do you know that? Both physical and spiritual and darkness. The light, of course, most exemplified in a star which God placed over the place where Jesus lay. Star, our sun is a star. <laughs> it's this brilliant light in the sky hanging above Bethlehem to identify who was lying in the manger to help the wise man and us, I would suggest, to you see and understand and embrace this one by faith. And they saw the one whom they were seeking and they believed it was Jesus and they worshipped him. And there's darkness as well, probably exemplified best in King Herod who slaughtered boys under two years of age at a, per, a certain point after Jesus' birth in order to protect his own power. He, did, he wanted to eliminate a, a rival to his throne. It was an act of cruelty. It was an, art, an act of overwhelming darkness in this world. 
what this comes to in the end is, is where, where are we at? <laughs> are we like the blind man who's been made to see? <laughs> are we like the Herod who apparently never did, but the wise man who were able to? You know, the reality is that we are invited to see and understand and to believe, to have our eyes opened, literally, on a spiritual sense, <laughs> to see what we couldn't see before, to come to this place of inviting Christ into our lives, to receiving him, as John 1.12 says, and then to committing our lives unreservedly to the, to the one who has come. You see, that is ultimate worship, isn't it? Have you come to see Jesus? Have you come to believe in Jesus? Have you come to unreservedly commit your life fully to him and to his will? You know, there are many people who do not see. And I'm going to read to you a verse that intrigues me. I, I wish it weren't so. But there are many, many people in our world who, who can't see. They're the blind man before the healing. 2 Corinthians 4 4 to 6 says this, The God of this age, and that's a reference to, to our enemy, the devil, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen to this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. It's a reference to creation made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. How do you see the glory of God? You look at Jesus' face and you worship him. You know, the idea that many people have, have had their eyes blinded um, by the God of this age, many people just can't see um, and they live, referencing Isaiah chapter 9, in deep darkness. Not knowing Jesus, not knowing his way, stumbling around, falling flat on their face. Um, think about the purpose of life. You know, one of the things that, that uh, I don't hear anymore, being an old guy now, I can say that, I don't hear a lot of young people thinking of career and describing a motivation other than one thing. What can I do to make a lot of money? That's what I hear over and over again. <laughs> what Jesus says, if you want to know life, you'll set that question aside. And you won't live your life in order to become wealthy or to have more things. You will live your life for me. And the purpose of your life, if you'll open your eyes, if you'll see what I'm saying, and by the way, my friends, we all live continually having more light shone into our lives, right? If you'll open your eyes and you'll see the reality of what I described to you, maybe a better question is, how can I make an impact in my life for Christ? How can I build the kingdom of God? How can I bring goodness into the world so this whole world becomes more of what God wants? And if money and wealth follows, wonderful. God's blessed you with it. And if, he, if it doesn't, he'll look after you because he's your shepherd, remember? And he's committed to providing for you and caring for you. You know, another sort of standard reality uh, of the blind, of those who are living in darkness, is, you know, how do you live your life where you put yourself first? Like, we, we as human beings without Christ don't even think twice about that. 
We're born into that thinking. It's natural to us in our fallen state. But what did Jesus say? The light of the world who came to speak wisdom into our lives as the incredible counselor. He said, if you want to save your life, guess what? You're going to lose it. Live for yourself. You're going to lose. You're not going to find what you want. As a matter of fact, you'll lose life. But if you lose your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, there you'll find it. Have you had your eyes open to that one, my friends? <laughs> we don't, we're not to live for ourselves. That's living in darkness. We are to live for Jesus, fully yielded to him and to his will. And as we, as we die to self, the New Testament says in various places, there it is that we find life. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. You know, I think about how, how we struggle in relationships. Anybody here find relationships simple and easy? Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, parent, child. <laughs> relationships are not easy. And you know, we, 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 we um, come to, to various places. I think that very thing about dying to self and living for Christ makes a huge difference in relationship rather than I'm in this relationship for me. But what do you do when there's conflict in your relationships? You know, there are sort of two responses, uh, you know, kind of polarized responses. One is to, you know, get quiet and offer the silent treatment. That's really life-giving, isn't it? <laughs> and the other, the other is to lambaste the person you're, you're in conflict with because they've hurt you. Well, that doesn't work very well either. And of course, Jesus comes along and is teaching about conflict, and he said, hey, do it this way. First of all, act in grace and forgive. Who loves forgiving people who have hurt them? Let me see your hands. <laughs> you do. Well, I'm glad there's one person there. That's fantastic. But, you know, in my experience personally, it's hard to forgive somebody who's wronged me. And I can get there with the help of the light which dwells within me or who dwells within me. And I can come to a place of grace and forgiveness. It takes a while. You see, there's the way of darkness and there's the way of light. And Jesus has come to show us how to have great relationships, how to forgive rather than to retaliate. There's the whole area of, of sexuality. I mean, I think this is probably the area that we're most blind in our culture. <laughs> Where our culture has come to a perspective on sexuality, which bas is basically do what you feel like doing because that's who you are. It's utter blindness. makes me think, all of this makes me think of, of, of early in, in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, people, a generation grew up who did not, did not remember the Lord, who did not know the Lord. And what does it say? They did what was right in their own eyes. Eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes because it made sense to them. <laughs> but they were living in utter darkness and they were falling on their face time and time again. I even think about Matters of life and death, from birth to death. The reality of abortion and now euthanasia, which has become so accepted and normal in this culture of ours. And God says in his scripture that he is the one who gives life and he is the one who takes it away. People doing what is right in their own eyes. But the harm that's caused is dramatic. See, Jesus has come, my friends. He has come, listen to me to bring you life and to bring me life. He's come to let the light shine in our lives so we are no longer in darkness, so that we're not waking up 
after a long sleep in a room that we don't know, <laughs> we're kind of afraid in order to, to even move because we don't know where we are. He's come to show us the way forward. And think about these statements that Jesus has described to us. These I am statements. This is the life that he has for you if you're willing to embrace it. He said, I'll be your shepherd. And I will provide for you and I will guide you through life. And I will bless you with an incredible life. And I match that up with the idea of him being the wonderful counselor. To whom do you turn when you have a decision to make? You know, Jesus is there to guide you every step of the way, to protect you, and as we've, we've said before, to fight for you. Jesus says, I am the gate, and we just go through these. He's the way into salvation, but he's also the way out of the gate into life, life and pasture, the abundant life that he described. You know, I just think about these candles which we've lit. Follow Jesus. What does he say that we will find? We will have his hope and we will have his peace and we will have his love and he, we will have his joy. My friends, put those together and you find life. If you're willing to so believe in Jesus, to believe in the identity that he described to us through this book, that we're willing to trust that good counselor and in time go through him to the abundant life, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> he said, I, I, I am the means through which you will never die. Stunning, right? I am the means through which while your spirit carries on, your body will go on the ground, but I won't stay there. There will be a resurrection. I'm this God of incredible hope. This God of e eternal life. I am the vine. Listen, live in Jesus. Live in that intimate union with Jesus and your life will have purpose. Your life will produce fruit. You will make an impact. Your life will count for something for eternity. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. He says, eat, eat me. <laughs> and of course, what he meant by that, and we've talked about it, is if you will just come to me and believe in me, I will satisfy your hunger I will satisfy your soul. And if you were here for that sermon, you'll remember so many people are trying to have their souls satisfied in so many different ways. But my friends, there is nothing that satisfies the soul except the person of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get to the Father? You want to get to that place of eternal life? You want to know where I'm going and how to get there, Thomas? Jesus said, it's through me. See, Jesus came to bring light. And in this statement, I am the light of the world, two critical things emer emerge. First of all, I'm the way to get to God. I'm the way to get into this kingdom reality. I'm the way to have your eyes open to see what you could not see before so that your life is incredibly blessed. Hmm. My friends, that's the question that we have. Have we seen the light? You know that old phrase, oh, I've seen the light. <laughs> Some people come to see this Jesus and they, and they love him and they commit their life to him and they trust in him for their salvation and they are committed to his words of wisdom and they follow after him. I want to tell you that is the way that human beings were created to live. Because Adam and Eve were created having a, a deep relationship with God. And then they sinned and they walked away from God and now all of us have to walk back to God and be in that relationship. But the only way that it happens is through Jesus and faith in him. My friends, I want to tell you as, as, as that happens, everything about our life changes.
because we see life differently. We see ourselves differently. We see the purpose of our life differently. We see our sexuality differently. We see questions of life and death differently. We see uh, you know, the wisdom of God differently. We see everything differently because God has opened our eyes to see what we couldn't see before. I want to finish by going back not to the G- statement by Jesus when he said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8, but to the experience of the man in jo- John chapter 9, he had never seen a thing in his life. That's how we're all born. That's how you were born, how I was born. And for a lot of people, the, the enemy, the God of this world, just keeps them in that place until the Spirit of God comes along. And he engages us and he brings new life. We are born again. This process of regeneration occurs. And all of a sudden our eyes start to open like that man's eyes opened one day. And he began to see things he had never seen before. And in the end what he saw was Jesus. And he understood who that Jesus was. And he like the wise man worshipped him. I guess what I'm asking today, my friends, honestly, and this is, this is such an incredible way to finish this official I Am series, is, is to just ask you the question, um, have your eyes been opened? I suppose the telltale sign of them not having been opened is that you don't understand anything I've just said, don't agree with anything I've just said, haven't received Christ into your life and yielded your life to him and his will and his word. My friends... This is the key to life. And Jesus Christ came into the world that you might see. He came into this world to die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sin and mine. He came into this world so that as a result of his, his death on the cross on our behalf, we get reconciled to God. We get back to the Garden of Eden. We get to walk with God as Adam and Eve did in intimate fellowship and love. And we get to see through the eyes of God, his wisdom, his direction, his truth, his way. I want to finish this morning by simply, simply asking everyone here, do you see? Have you come to that place of recognizing who Jesus is? Have you come to him by faith? Have you received him into your life? And have you yielded your life fully and completely the one who called himself the light of the world. And I ask you that. It, you know, I, I think of all the tasks I have as a pastor, there's nothing more important than this one. Because as people walk in to the gate, they find a new life. They see things they couldn't see before. They come into a new purpose for living. They come into so much more. Because in Jesus, life is transformed because our eyes have been opened to see what we couldn't see before. I pray with all my heart you are such people, every single one of you. And I pray with all of my heart that you've become like the wise man and like the man born blind. You've become worshipers of Jesus because you have come to that place of knowing who he is. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful time Christmas is. What an experience of, of remarkable proportions because as we look at this event which happened in Bethlehem so long ago, we are brought to a place of, well, can I call it stunned joy? 
because the light of the world came into the to the to, to our exist into existence that night it came into our reality that night and god i do pray for every person listening to me whether they're here or at home and i pray i pray lord that you'll shine the light of christ into their lives in a new way i pray that you'll open their eyes to see what they haven't seen before i pray lord that you'll lead them to that place of recognizing Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give them the capacity not only to believe, but also to live in the light of Christ. According to everything he has spoken, everything that he, he has called us to, Lord, we pray. I pray that this group of people will live in worship before you, recognizing you for who you are. So, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you will do your work in us. You will open the eyes of the blind. And that you will help us to be people who live in the reality of the light of Jesus, the one who came as the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Lead us in that light, Lord. Let us see your will and your way. And let us find the life that you came to give us. And this we pray in Jesus' name.